podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast. It's me, Russell Diver, and my usual co-host is back after a couple of weeks away, um, but we can confirm has not signed a £350,000 a week contract by Mohamed Salah, for example. Uh, but he is back with us after a couple of weeks away, Peter Marsh. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. Yeah, I, I, I did like reduce my demands to two fifty grand a week, so I'm okay. And completing this cat lover fest um, is that the third part of our triumvirate tonight, at least for this first part of the podcast, is a man who's been on a couple of times before, maybe three times before, not for a while now, buddy, Spencer Vignes. How are you doing, Spencer? Greetings. All good. Yes, the man, they uh, they drag on when basically everything else fails. <laughs> no, that's wrong, isn't it? I'm putting, I'm selling myself short there. I really am. Sorry, I, I need to learn to talk myself up at the grand age of 53. Yes, yes, welcome. Yes, hello. That really was self harsh, actually. Yeah, I think you're really cutting yourself off there. Well, right? so you're taking my job here, Spencer. What are you doing? <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, that's my role. <laughs> talking yourself down, stakes. Yes, come on. We, you know, we finished ninth last season. You know, start slagging leads off next, and then that'll be that'll be really awkward. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yes, I, I need to remember that I support a Premier League team who finished ninth last season, and I am a yes, a, an excellent writer and an excellent man, and all of the above. And yes, thank you. Absolutely, indeed. You are indeed an excellent writer. And I think, um, have, have you got a new book coming out? Does somebody say? Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, not out yet. It'll be, and you don't, you just love the way I don't actually know the date because I don't <laughs> know the date. I think it was going to be the end of July. It's definitely beginning of August. I've, um, I spent a little part of lockdown, actually most of lockdown, uh, working on a book about, um, two goalkeepers who met each other at the Albion in 1955. Eric Gill, who was our first team goalie, who was quite famous in his day because he set a football league record for playing the most amount of consecutive games ever for a goalkeeper. Actually, he the joint top amount of games. That in itself is a story which I won't bore you with. You can read about that. But he was the number one goalie. And then a guy called Dave Hollins came along. And he was his understudy for many, many years while Eric just set this long, 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 you know, semi-record. And so Dave just sat on the bench, but they became good, good mates. And in the end, was it Dave let in nine in his fourth game for the Albion in our record defeat up at Middlesbrough when Brian Clough scored five. But having sat on the bench for ages and then let in nine, rather than kind of going off and doing something completely different, he knuckled down. Became our number one, got transferred to Newcastle in a big, big money transfer, became the Welsh international goalie in the 60s, rooming with the great John Charles, and went on to have a fine, fine stellar career. And basically, cut a long story short, 70 years later, these two are still best mates. And I interviewed Eric Gill for the match program. And while talking to him, he happened just to let slip that, oh, yeah, Dave, yeah, still good mates see each other all the time, go shopping together, do this, play bowls together. And it was like, what? So the idea of doing a book where basically their lives are bookended by by quite distinct memories of World War II. I mean, Eric had a couple of really new misses, you know, growing up in, in Camden in North London, as he did. And Dave also did. He grew up in Guildford, but survived being strafed by a German bomber in his back garden when he was a kid. 
Um, so, yeah, it was like the idea of having, you know, you've got World War Two at one end, COVID at the other. And, you know, these two wars at either end of these great gentlemen's kind of long lives and friendship. Eric's 91 now and Dave's 84. And they're just a perfect example of how to live life, you know, and that basically just because you're in your 80s and 90s and whatever, you know, life isn't over. They're just inspirations. I've loved spending time with them. Um, and yeah, the book is just called Eric and Dave and it will be available was it through Pitch Publishing. As I said, I don't know the exact date. You can order it now, but yeah, there will be some kind of a get together to which Albion fans will be invited, but we just haven't pulled our finger out and organized that yet. Partly okay. because I've got a foot operation next week and I've got six weeks sitting at home with my foot in the air getting over that. So as soon as I can get in a car, probably about the beginning of September, there'll be some little knees up to which everyone will be invited. <laughs> Sounds good to me. And perhaps we should get need you back. A <laughs> yeah, we need a big venue. Need a big venue. We should get you back on the pod actually when the book's out or just after. Oh, that. it's yeah. I, I could talk about until the cows come home. They're just great. It's. Um, I would say I'll get them on, but they're not too good with modern technology. Oh, okay. And what was it? It was. It was a, a interesting book to um, to write because all the interviews. You know, normally, you know, um, this is what book number seven or eight for me. And, you know, you're always like meeting up with people. You do the interviews face to face and whatever. And you normally find stuff come, you know, you get better quality stuff and material then. But we just couldn't do that, particularly because, you know, the ages of the two men concerned, really. The idea of me going into their homes and giving them COVID and whatever wouldn't have, you know, just, you know, complete nightmare. So we did everything over the phone and it's just come up brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly. So, yeah, yeah. One for a few weeks time. Yeah, definitely, we'll do that. We could even do a live, live events, uh, sort of element to the uh, to the knees up wherever that is. Who knows? Yeah, wherever it is, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. <laughs> um, obviously, people will have gathered already by this conversation if they haven't already heard you before on the podcast. You've you've been a sports writer. Um, you've covered tennis and various other things, but also focused on football, in particular on the Albion, of course, being an Albion fan yourself. And you've also done a lot of contributions for the programme. You've done various books on the Albion and you've covered a lot of the old players. You've spoken to them. You've become good friends with with some of them. And um, it's unfortunate that we've got a bit of bad news at the moment that um, one of the Albion greats of the late 70s, um, Peter O'Sullivan, who is a wing wizard, um, is unfortunately not very well at all at the moment. He was committed to hospital. I think he was in a serious state. He's now home, but still with a, a long way to go to recover, uh, uh, as I understand it. I was alerted to this by a friend of the show and guest contributor, Andy Bravery, who um, sent a message around on one of the WhatsApp groups and uh, relating to your tweet that you put on. Um, so you will probably be the man to ask on this subject, seeing as you do know him, and he is, he is now a friend of yours in the... In the later days isn't he um so um what, what can you tell us about his situation well a couple of weeks ago pete was in um a pub in shoreham called the sovereign um with his wife kim and um according to kim um he was absolutely fine he was just being typically sully and everything and he just dropped like a stone to the floor just keeled over um long story short he'd had a bleed on the brain and he was taken to the Royal Sussex Hospital, where um, the doctors have been excellent. Um, according to Kim, and I, I really don't want to put the boot into the NHS because they do a great, great job and they're under immense strain. We all know that. But although the doctors have been great, the aftercare in hospital 
was less so. And Kim, his wife, ended up doing most of it herself. I'll spare you the grim details of what she had to do, but you can probably imagine. Hmm. Um, he was uh, discharged yesterday. Whether he's right to go home or not, I don't know. Probably not. But he was discharged to home yesterday. And Kim is now doing her best to look after him at home. Um, it's going to be a long road back to whatever semblance of normality, if there's ever going to be normality again, which there probably isn't. Um, he's got a long way to go. There's a lot of questions still to answer. And um, it's also looking at probably going to be quite costly. And I mean, you know, you've got to remember that we're talking about, you know, although Sully played for us in the top flight uh, when we first got promoted, you know, way back in 1979, you know, back then players weren't on the wages that they are now. You know, they were on the same wages as the, you know, a, a, a lot of average men in the in the street or less in some cases. So Peter didn't retire with a big pension or whatever. Um, so what exactly is going to happen on that front? I really don't know. We, um, I was talked to Kim this morning. There's subtle clues maybe now looking back that things weren't quite right in the weeks and months leading up to that. He was, anyone who knows Sully or has met him knows that he can be slightly cantankerous, but with a cheeky wink. And um, he was uncharacteristically snappy in the last few months. There was a couple of incidents where he behaved very, um, well, something's not quite right looking back. I'm not, I'm not going to give details, but basically the clues were there, I think, leading up to what happened in, in the Shoreham pub a couple of weeks ago. And I think basically the doctors are working along the lines that it is a, a brain degenerative uh, disease, um, maybe Alzheimer's, um, and that, you know, it's been building up now for, for a while and there is kind of something there rather than the bleed on the brain. You know, it was, it was, it's, it's all linked basically. So the short of it is that, um, he needs help. Um, and, there doesn't seem to be much of a kind of lead coming from the club. We don't, Albion is one of those clubs, unlike Sunderland and Everton and Chelsea and various other clubs, we don't have an ex-players association. A few of us have been saying for many, many years that this is something that we need, you know, uh, whether it's just a simple way of kind of holding dues and keeping ex-players, you know, in touch right the way through to maybe Chelsea, who do a proper healthcare thing for their ex-players. But at the moment, there doesn't seem to be anything coming out of the club. So in the absence of anything there, it's kind of been left to, to a few of us fans just to kind of, you know, see if we can do something. At the moment, it's a case of watch this space. I mean, maybe a benefit match, some kind of a benefit match involving ex-players and people. Where, I don't know, New Haven stepped in today and mentioned that New Haven FC, that maybe they could make their ground available, which is being relayed at the moment. But we need to do something. You know, people need to do something um, and it'd be good if the club could maybe kind of act as an umbrella for this. But in the absence of anything happening, uh, I mean, you know, obviously the club can't do it for every player. I know I get this, but, you know, Sully played for us from 1970 to 1981. He was, the, I think he held the appearance record for the most amount of players at one point, you know, most performances. Um, 400 odd, basically. I mean, he was a loyal, loyal servant. For a number of years and I think we need to give something back basically to yeah. 
it was the first one of the first players I remember. Uh, he was in the first team I remember, yeah. uh, along with Wardy and um, and Brian Horton and a couple of others. They, they were the standout, and obviously Loro were the standout figures in that team. And I remember him being one of my first heroes. I don't yeah. really remember a huge amount about him. I must admit, it was more uh, the sort of, sort of the sights and sounds of the colours were all kind of a, a little bit um, of a different thing back then as a kid. But I, I do remember him being one of the first players that I latched onto. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he um, he almost he used to remind me of kind of a, a character out of the spaghetti western. You know, he had that kind of almost South American look with his big tash and whatever. I mean, his nickname, self-styled, dare I say, it, nickname in the Albion dressing room was Rivellino, after the great Brazilian player of the sixties and seventies. You know, I mean, uh, I talked to one or two of Sully's old teammates from that, those era, and they said, yeah, you know, he used to walk like him dressed like him he had the same tash you know he was Albion's Rivellino and I tell you what the comparison isn't without foundation because Sully was an immense player and one of those players who you think you know sometimes you catch yourself thinking well I wonder who back from those days would suit the modern game and everything and I think Sully really would he could thread a ball through an eye of a needle is is you know pinpoint crossing pinpoint passing everything he did was meticulous and of course, on the old disastrous, horrible mud bath pitches that they used to play on back there. And I, I was a bit like you, Russ, in, in the, you know, I worship the man. I mean, you know, I grew up in Sussex, but, you know, my, my dad and a lot of my family were from Wales and Sully, you know, was from Wales and played for the Albion. So, you know, identified with him even more, really, um, in that way. And, uh, yeah, it's it's funny. It's uh, he never seemed to change, Sully. Every time you see him, you just think, "Yep, Sully." Um, certain people you think will go on forever, and I'm I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm talking about him when he's not here, as if he's not here. He is still here, but um, it's one of those moments where you you realise that we're we're not immortal, basically. Yeah, and he's I try I haven't looked at looked it up, but I think he must be in his seventies. Is he mid seventies, roughly? Something. Yeah, like although that. again, yeah, I think ooh, seventy one now. Oh, okay. 72, maybe. I think 1950, I think he was born. You've got me there. But again, yeah, he's one of those people who in your head is always about 30, 35. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and from, you know, he liked to pint, don't we all, occasionally? But he was, he was well. He was, when you saw him, you'd go, oh, yeah, Peter O'Sullivan. You know, it's, it's, there was no outward signs that he had health problems until, as I said, now, you know, I, I said to Kim, look, were there any clues for this? And she said, yeah, actually, looking back, there were some uncharacteristic things going on recently. So there you go. But I mean, you know, if we if if there is some kind of a, a benefit do, you know, or benefit do's, um, we'll let you know. I mean, we just need to get the word out to as many fans as possible. And, um, yeah, and I mean, down this man, this great man. I appreciate what you say about, you know, you can't do literally everybody a big thing for everyone, but um, he he was a big legend for the club. And I do hope that the club are able to help out in some way, at least um, with this, if, if money needs to be raised. Um, do you, have you had a, any direct approach to the club or from the club or has there been any communication with them directly? And is um, there I, th- that- I think an awful lot of fans, well, words got round pretty fast. I mean, um, um, Peter Ward's wife, uh, Jacqueline has been very good on Facebook. She seems to be taking care of the stuff on Facebook and I seem to be doing it on Twitter, hmm. partly because I can't really work out Facebook. I'm not very good at that. I can just about get my head around Twitter. 
Um, but anyway, between us and quite a few other people, Nobby Horton, Brian Horton has, has been spreading the word. Uh, as you say, Andy Bravery uh, from, you know, Seagulls Over London. You know, words getting around now. I um, I texted Paul Camlin, you know, Brighton's press officer this morning and just said, look, you know, is anything happening? And um, without breaching too many confidences, I think he said he was going to have or there was going to be a meeting involving the Albion in the community group this morning. But um, haven't heard anything since. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, this is all stuff. I mean, you know. I was also talking to another fan earlier and we were just saying, well, if, if something good can come out of this, you know, like maybe the formation of a kind of ex-players, Albion ex-players association, great. But that doesn't help Sully and his wife at home tonight with her having to care for him and wondering how the hell she's going to, you know, she's determined not to put him in a home and that he won't go to a home. Uh, she's determined to do it herself, but there's, there's the aftercare just isn't there. Gary Stevens, funnily enough, you know, Albion player, ex Gary, you know, um, ex Albion player, is now uh, working out in Thailand, living and working out in Thailand at the moment. He came up with a good point this afternoon, message back via Twitter that, you know, as a member of the PFA, Sully will be entitled to help from them. He passed on a couple of numbers, which I passed to Kim as well. Um, so a couple of calls to the PFA will be in order, I think, as soon as possible, and hopefully they will be able to stand in and, and at least kind of, you know, hold the fort for the time being. But uh, yeah, as I said, it's an evolving situation, really. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, all we can say is that um, we, we hope as much can be done to help him out, and we really wish him the very best. But obviously, the thoughts are with him and his all of his family. And um, yeah, we we'll hope he'll be able to make a recovery at least to some degree, and and be able to to go on with his life. And um, and as you said, hopefully this this might be a spark for something in the in the bigger picture as well in terms of getting other other help for other players as well in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't. I mean, you know, it's it's an interesting one i mean i'm not saying this because you know i've any, any in-depth knowledge of what's you know the, the reasoning behind albion the reason why they haven't gone down the ex-players association idea but i mean you know it is it is a bit of a, a hot potato really the idea of kind of you know dementia mm. you know neurodegenerative diseases and everything like that you know within footballers i mean um you know center forwards and center backs in particular you know the the the, the rates of dementia amongst them is just yeah. unbelievably scary. Um, and this is, uh, it's a problem that's always been there, but I think players just went off and quietly dealt with it with their families. And the next thing you knew was an obituary notice. Whereas now we know more about it and it's been brought into the open. It's very, very uncomfortable. And I think some clubs don't really want to go near it for fear of, maybe litigation and things like that. I'm not saying the Albion's one of them at all, but, you know, I mean, these players do so much for us and they entertain us. And, you know, I've, I've said to you before, I know I have, that to understand the present, you've got to have an appreciation of the past. And the reason, you know, that, that we love this club is because of what's gone before and what they've built for us, you know, and the entertainment value and whatever. So if we can't stand by them when they're not, you know, with us and when they go off and when they retire, then it doesn't say very much about us, really. I think we need to up our game a little bit as a, as a, a, as a club and, well, not necessarily supporters, but certainly probably as, as, as a club. We do a lot right. I'm not knocking Albion, far from it. We do a hell of a lot right. 
but that is the one area where we've singularly failed in my opinion you could say i would say that because i spend a lot of time you know interviewing and talking to the ex-players but i know the strength of feeling because quite often i'm their only contact with the club and that's purely because i write about them you know uh, players like phoning me you know quite often um saying oh i contacted the clubs asking if i could have tickets for a game and nothing happened and you just think oh come on you know so we're not very good at that. We're good at many things, but we're not very good at that. And we really need to take a bit of a look at ourselves on that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout, actually. And if anyone for the club is listening, you know, hopefully that can prompt some kind of response. And, you know, we're listening. We're hoping there'll be some sort of action. I think, I think it's worthy of, of the case, isn't it? And let, let's hope um, that something can be done there from there. It's nothing to be scared of either. You know, I mean, these are yeah. players who are proud to have played for the Albion. But um, I think now that, you know, so many other uh, clubs, you know, um, are having, you know, uh, are, are doing good things with ex, ex-pro associations. And, you know, it's it's just a bit strange that we're not. We do so much else right. And, and yeah, that one, you just think, well, why not? You know, it's Bit of a curiosity, isn't it? And I, I, you know, it's never too late. But uh, the, you know, but we can bite the bullet and just go for it now. Yeah, they, they, they've got the expertise to do it. I mean, there's, there's, I know, I'm not the only one who's pushing for this. I mean, Dan Tester, who's written about the Albion in the past, you know, he's, he's been, um, he's been pushing for it for a while. Nick Shapanich, the sports writer, again, an Albion fan, lives in Brighton. You know, he's been pushing for it as well. You know, between us. We've got the, the skills and the contacts, you know, and know enough of the players to make this, this work. But it just, you know, you can't make it work if, if the club are reluctant or just don't want to put it on the agenda. You know, you wonder what, something... the, what the logic is behind it really it doesn't seem like a bit of a no brainer from what you're saying. It's kind of just well, like an obvious thing to have. Yeah. I did a proposal a few years ago and I think it went to the board and I never heard anything back. You know, just about what ex-pro, you know, associations are like and what we could do. And, you know, it'd be good to have a little bit of a budget. I mean, nobody is looking to make any money out of this, you know, far from it. But I mean, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it kind of properly. And, you know, I mean, people like myself and Nick and Dan, you know, we do a lot of this for the love of it, really. Um, and if it was going to take a lot, of, a lot of your time, you know, we'd need the least kind of like expenses and some kind of like, you know, an amount of money just to fund it and run it. Um, but as I said, until there's kind of like a, a green light or any indication that it's something the club wants to do, it ain't going to happen, really. Hmm. Okay, so, so well, hopefully there will be uh, some some happy news coming out of this. Um, just just to round off, because I know you've got to go and um, emulate Cameron Norrie's fantastic quarterfinal by having a knock around at tennis this evening. So, uh, well, it's to... very very important, Russell. As I said, I've got this foot operation next week, and if I don't get a couple of knocks of tennis in. Like, you know, this week, I'm not going to get out at all this summer. So I'm going to, I want to make the most of it. And as much as I could talk about the Albion for years and years and years, tonight I want to get out on the tennis court as well. Yeah. So my final question to you is, quick some, quick word on the season that's that's gone before, uh, that we finished in, uh, in May. Um, pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think the wonderful thing was, is that, uh, you know, I... I'm kind of used to seasons maybe that start pretty well and then taper off and you get towards the end and it ends in a bit of disappointment and um, and soul searching and misery. And, oh, you just can't wait for the following season, you know, to wash away the memories. 
this season, you almost just didn't want to finish. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, there were moments, you know, the, the long run at home where we couldn't get a, a win for Toffee, you know, or couldn't even score for Toffee. But to finish the way we did, you know, some of those performances towards the end, I mean, you know, to win back-to-back weekends in North London, yeah. you're just thinking... Really? Is this the album? Is this really the album? You know, where's the catch? And Revenge and for United at home, the Wolves yeah. away, you know, Wolves away and stuff. It's like, God, you know, this is brilliant. Yeah. Revenge for 83, Spencer. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Nothing could erase that memory, basically. It was 14 <laughs> at the time that seared into my brain forever and ever. But it went a little way towards that, definitely. Okay, well, that rounds up the end, of the end of the first part of this podcast. So we thank again Spencer for joining us, and we will see you again soon. And we'll have a chat about the book, I think, in a bit more detail. Definitely, always a pleasure, never a chore. <laughs> All right, cheers for joining Thanks, us. Well, Peter, I've been um, endowing myself with some beers. Endowing doesn't sound right. Um, anyway, that's not a word. I think that's fine. Not, it's just not a word. Yes, exactly. I'm having um, a bottle of strip, which sounds a bit rude. Um, and then, Better having a strip, I suppose. Yes, exactly. And now I'm on the um, Pop and Top Pale Ale, which is... Uh, I'll just have some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, not too bad. Very alien paley. Yeah, it's all good. All good stuff. You say very alien paley. Alien paley, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm an alienologist, I think, something like that. Anyway, let's get back to the podcast. So, oh, you're on the squash, by the way, aren't you? Um, I am, yeah. Suspiciously beerless, actually, for you, Peter, after um, indulging yourself on your honeymoon. Yeah, I thought it was probably best to have a couple of nights off today and yesterday, seeing as I'm yeah out again tomorrow and a couple of days after that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get on with some other bits and pieces. We've got in part three, we're going to be talking to an author by the name of Stuart James Quigley, who's got a new book out about football and with a a little bit of a passage about Brighton involved there, talking particularly about Glenn Murray. We'll be talking to him in part three. But in this second part, wanted to get onto the subject as you're um, getting your, your fantastic cat interview here. This is brilliant. Well, what a cat, Bernie, superb cat. Anyway, um, as we are chatting away on the subject of um, football, uh, as well as cats, um, general news. A different um, podcast, our cat podcast. <laughs> first of all, Peter, you've not been on for the last couple of episodes, so we, I, we haven't talked about our later or latest signing, mm-hmm. as, as of yet anyway, um, Adingra, isn't it, I think his name? Yeah. Who we've signed, who has now gone out on loan to USG. Surprise, surprise. Um, which I think is a sensible move, to be honest, integrating him into uh, into the European, Western European football uh, circles. And um, anything you know about him? Anything you've made of that signing? Not really. It came out of it left field, didn't it? When when it happened, it, kind of, it was a few days before it was talked about, and then suddenly the it was. Albion. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think probably it sounds like yeah, a, a, you know, a, a bit of a bit of a bit of a gamble. Doesn't no guarantees from you know where he is, but. Yes, I mean he had to go out on loan. I think didn't he? Because he didn't have, a, wouldn't have got a work permit. Yeah. Um, so he had to go out of a loan overseas. And USG seems a a good one. While we're talking about loans, actually, I see there's a rumor that um, Adelaide is going on loan to Angers in France as well. Ah, okay, okay, yeah. Uh, hopefully, over his injury issues, he had when he was on loan. Yeah, yeah. 
That's good, good. And we've got Baker Boate, I think it's pronounced, um, that we signed initially on a loan. He's now made permanent. I'm, I'm presuming he's going to stay with the um, with one of the youth setups during this coming season, at least the first part of it. Um, one other bit of news, I think, was Carl Rushworth. He's got another loan deal. Lined well, it's, it's, it's close, isn't it? Or is he actually signed now? I don't think so as we speak this Wednesday evening, but uh, it's Derby, isn't it? Yeah. There's rumours they're also getting Hayden Roberts as well. Oh, right. Okay. They have signed, Derby have signed today or last night, um, three decent players, Connor Hurahan, which is a great player for that level. James Chester, again, I don't think he's played much at that level, but he's a good player. And I've forgotten who the other one is now, but there's... Um, uh, um, McGoldrick. Oh, yeah, David McGoldrick. He scored a lot of goals against us through in the Championship. Yeah. He'd so always score against us. It looks like they're, they're resetting themselves. They've got the takeover finally achieved. Yeah. They're now moving in the right direction. And on an Albion theme, of course, we should mention at this point that with Wayne Rooney having finally given up the ghost with waiting on the ownership situation prior to the takeover finally happening, um, he did walk out. And his assistant, Liam Rossinia Esquire, has taken over as the uh, manager slash coach. Um, so we wish him the very best of luck. What a great fella. Had the pleasure of meeting him once. Uh, Really nice guy and a very articulate, very intelligent, very thoughtful guy um, who I think has the potential to be a really good coach and manager. Yeah. And, and his dad obviously was a manager as well. So he's obviously got mm-hmm. like a, you know, he kind of uh, will we'll have experience from his knowledge as well and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah good luck to him. He's one of my favourite Arabian players, Liam Rosina. He is brilliant for us um, and just seemed like a, such a decent bloke as well. And I really hope, I mean, if he does well, who knows, could be a future Albion manager. Well, he could be. You never know. You never know. And I mean, um, in fact, fact, I think his dad, there was rumours at one point that his dad applied for the manager's job. Obviously, he didn't get it, but he... he, I think it was talk of it at one point. Yeah, one of the Wivdeen ones, wasn't it? I don't know how close he got to uh, the shortlist or getting appointed, but uh, it's interesting that things could go around again as another cat walks into view. (laughs) Yeah, I've suddenly got a, a, a grouping of cats. Just to describe, Peter's face is segmented by a tail that's lingering in the middle of the screen, although that's now just moved. Um, but marvellous, Peter. It adds flavour, doesn't it? As does this beer. Anyway, um, so that's that's Liam Rossini, that's Derby, that's Carl Rushworth, that's Adingara um, mentioned. Um, and as far as the Cucurella situation goes, I don't think we've heard any more, really. It's gone a bit quieter on that. No, part. I think he's agreed personal terms a lot of times. So, hmm. you know, according to uh, in the know people... All those really in the know journalists who are not making stuff up. As they talk, who are making stuff up? Definitely not making stuff up. They say that Brighton will accept twenty-eight million or twenty-five million or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, really, not do that. It's silly season. It really is actually quite pathetic. I can't. I can't stand the summer period in terms of this bullshit. To be yeah, like like the bizarre bloke who claimed to be a journalist from Salzburg who claimed that Camera was signing between either Leeds or Brighton, the midfielder from Salzburg, and then turned out that. Leeds weren't even interested in him, and we probably we weren't if it's anyway at a price that's it's all about thirty million pounds. He said Leeds had picked us to him, us to him, and it's like, well, we weren't in for him probably for thirty million pounds. We've got plenty of midfielders already. We're not going to break our transfer record by a long way on a midfielder. Exactly, it's it's just crazy stuff, isn't it? And as as Paul Camelin, who we've had at Seagulls over London a number of times, has said, has been a pains to say over and over again, you know. Virtually everything you hear is 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 either yeah. conjecture or complete and utter crap, um, you know, or words to that effect. Anyway, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, essentially, he was saying don't believe pretty much anything in the in the in the papers. Um, one, one that does seem to have come through, not for Albion tonight, is um, Raheem Sterling to Chelsea. Mm. It should be. I'm, I'm very surprised City are letting him go to a 
a well potential rival. I think he's a he's an excellent signing for Chelsea. I know he's only got a year left in his contract, but I would yeah. have I would really have thought that. Yeah. Doing the rounds at the biggest clubs, isn't he? Liverpool, City, now Chelsea. Yeah. Um, he's agreed personal terms, hasn't he? Didn't he about. start at Chelsea as well for it's Liverpool? No, I think he was a QPR. Was oh, a QPR? Was it? I might be wrong about that, but I think so. Yeah, but you know, there's been a lot of big transfer news. Of course, you had uh, Pogba's done his kind of switch, switch wash um, backwards and forwards uh, routine again, um, signing for the club he left Man United for last time. Yeah, going backwards and forwards. He's not the only person doing that, is he? Um, uh, there's there's a number of uh, uh, Lukaku being the other one, of course. A number of other players rumored to be awful. The deals that are close to being done. Ronaldo um, appears now to be saying that he might want to leave. Um, it may actually be good for United if he did. Um, yeah, I, I, as much as he was their best player last year, I don't think he helps the team as a whole. I don't think he helps the other players around him. Fernandez's performances, for example, were significantly worse when Ronaldo was playing. Yeah, Rashford obviously went had a really poor season. You know, it's kind of Sancho didn't really live up to expectations. So you wonder whether they might be a better team without him if he's not there completely. But yeah, I mean, these things may be coincidental or part, partly to blame only. But you know, I... I'm, I'm going to regret saying this, but I wonder if playing United away first game when Ten Hag hasn't really had a chance to get his point across might be a, might not be a bad thing. Well, I've, I've, the thought has crossed my mind as well. And, and you and I are both going to the game, aren't we? Um, yeah. You've got tickets. You're going to go make a weekend of it and go to Barrow, aren't you, to tick off another ground? I might try and factor that one in. I'm not sure yet. Um, but either way around... Well, it's, I'm... it's definitely on the way to Manchester <laughs> and London. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the most direct route. <laughs> I, I've, I'm, um, I've not seen us win at uh, Man United, obviously. No one has. Um, but um, I, maybe as good a chance as any of the chances that might be left in the near future, because I think... Ten Hag is a good manager, and I think he will get them at least on a better footing than they have been in recent years. So hitting them early with um, the first game of the season, which is on the Sunday, uh, live on Sky, two o'clock kickoff, um, I think would be the right time to do it. Tickets went on sale on Tuesday. Don't know if they've sold out yet, but um, if they haven't, you better hurry up and get them if you want to go. This could be our chance to beat them, Peter. I'm hoping so. Yeah, we'll probably get stuff 4-0 now, having said all this. Um, fixtures out for Worthing as well. Uh, we've got a couple of bits lined up. We might might go to. I think we're. Norbans looks a tempting one. The weekend of the Leicester game. Yeah, yeah, it might be. I think he might be away that weekend, so I can go. I can go wild and go to St Albans and Leicester home on the same weekend. Yeah, because Leicester's on the Sunday, isn't it? Now, isn't yeah, it? yeah, because yeah, they're playing United, who are playing on Thursday because of Europe, rather or I don't know because of something. Yeah. And ironically, you and I have both been to St Albans City already, haven't we? Yeah. Um, when I went, I went on one of those days, the non-league days, where you can get in free with the season ticket to a Premier League club. So I went along with my season ticket, um, queued up for what was actually quite a big crowd. Um, and lo and behold, the people in front of me in the queue were Albion season ticket holders. <laughs> it was a family going and They did live in St Albans, to be fair. So it made sense they might go along to that one. But um, yeah, of all the people... I, I went to see Whitehawk when they were doing when they were doing OK in the Conference South and we wanted to see Jake Robinson and then... And um, within five minutes, an all, uh, Whitehawk had a player sent off, and Robinson was a player sacrificed for the uh, oh, yeah. defender on. So I remember that, yeah. And they lost 6 0, so it wasn't the ideal afternoon out if you were a Whitehawk <laughs> fan. Jake Although Robinson. we were nobody really well about that. But. Jake Robinson, of course, is now designed for Worthy, but he was in that Whitehawk team when they had the cup run, wasn't he? And they played Lincoln and teams like that. Yeah, he? possibly, yeah. Well, he's a good signing, it's an interesting one. There's a, they've made a couple of interesting signings, um, Worthing, so. In, or they have lost uh, Jasper Passenden. Um, yeah, but well, that was inevitable. 
really. But they've, I'm listening to their, um, they did a podcast, the Rebel Yelcha, I think a week or two ago, summer one special, where they talked to George Dow, the um, chairman, who we are, uh, who's agreed to come on. We hope to get him on, actually, at some point in the coming weeks, probably just ahead of the new season. And he was talking about how there's a big emphasis on doing things the right way, the slow build, pretty much like the Albion. He did compare it on a, on a scale to the Albion of the same sort of way of, building a squad and using the academy and developing. And so there might be more people coming through as, as he did through the, through the academy there at Pattenton. But um, we'll, we'll probably catch some, some word in games. We want to, as I mentioned before, we want to do a little bit of a little Hampton special, maybe Hastings, as a few other non-league clubs will do when the season starts up. It is, of course, kicking off a week early, um, the first weekend of August, with the um, the EFL starting in the last week of July, mm. this very month. So it's not long to go before the season starts. Yeah, I'm a bit, obviously I'm not disappointed because I've got to get to a Commonwealth game, so I'm missing out on a potential exciting game somewhere that weekend, yeah. which is disappointing. There's a number of Northwest clubs I've not been to from my selection of whatever it is, seven or eight I've not been to, uh, and they're all playing at home on that weekend. It's very tempting to go. I might do. We'll have to see. Um, any other news or any other transfers in particular that have caught your eye? In the, no, the, nothing, nothing huge. Leeds seem to be adding quite a few players, having lost Phillips and sound like they might well lose Rafinha. Rafinha yeah. to Barcelona seems one of the oddest transfers this summer because Barcelona don't have any money, and yet they seem to keep bidding for players, even though they can't register them for, the, for a while. And I, don't know, I read some report earlier on BBC or Sky or something like that, but also somewhere that there's some suggestion that teams like Bayern and that sort of thing with Lewandowski are asking for money now from Barcelona because they don't basically trust them to, yeah. to pay up in a, later on. But hmm. Well, yes, exactly. I'm not sure where they're at with the finances. I know they're trying to totalise things to, to be able to, to get the, um, the approval to sign people, but who knows. But Phillips going from Leeds... To, to uh, Man City and, and if Rafinha goes as well to Barca that's going to be a big blows for them they've signed players on fairly hefty fees the sort of 20-25 mm-hmm. million-ish kind of figures and who knows what those players are like they could be yeah. signings but I've not I'm, not, I'm not totally convinced by their manager either he didn't seem obviously he did, he did okay at Salzburg but didn't really do any much at Leipzig he was sacked pretty quickly there so yeah um, so that, that's that yeah no, no major and he spells his name wrong so you know Yes, he's got an extra C in there, hasn't he, Peter? That's not the way to spell Marsh, is it? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot more transfer activity going on in the coming weeks. It's going to intensify, of course, uh, in the run-up to the kickoff and beyond. Um, I think transfer deadline day, as I understand it, is 11pm on the 31st of August. Yeah, I think so. so. It's not any earlier for the fact we've started the season a week earlier. So that we've got even more of the season disrupted by transfer speculation. Yeah, and a midweek game as well, so there'll be... Five games gone when that's when the because uh, normally yeah. it's three and then you have an international break where you can integrate players, but this time it's five with a game at the weekend. Yeah, and of course this is all to do with the fact that there's a World Cup, so everything's been shunted around. The World Cup taking place in November and December, um, England. I, I keep hearing rumours about that, but I, I can't believe that's true. Qatar promised it will be in the in <laughs> you know in June, July, so I, I can't believe they'd have lied. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, couldn't be the case. Of course not. No. Yeah, no. But, that would suggest something like some sort of corruption or something like that, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, England will hopefully do well in this tournament, despite their horrendous showing in the Nations League games. Um, I'm just going to put that down as a random blip and let's get that crap out of the way now and then step on during. But they the- did call up some Palace players. So that's probably part of the problem. Exactly, of course, that's never going to help, is it? 
Um, however, there are some tournaments um, going on during the summer. One has already taken place, which is the um, European Under-19s Championship. And England only went and won it. Another one of the youth team levels of England winning a tournament. This is great news. Congratulations to them. Quite frankly, I don't think there was enough coverage of it. It's kind of gone completely under the radar, hasn't it, from my perspective? Yeah, it's not really. I haven't seen it mentioned a lot. Yeah. And um, the other one, of course, is, as we're recording tonight, um, Wednesday evening, the Euro, the Women's Senior Euros Tournament hosted by England is is starting this very evening. By the time you listen to this, England's first game, uh, because they're involved tonight, at home to Austria, which is a sellout at the Old Trafford Stadium, is, um, is going to have been finished by then, and hopefully we will have won. Let's hope so. The second game of the three group matches is at the Amex. Also a sellout. Well, I think all the games are a sellout, basically. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've got one of the tournament fixtures. I think this is the first time, if I'm not mistaken, that we've had a an official summer tournament fixture, um, competitive fixture, um, hosted by the Albion. Uh, great to see. Lots of um, locals will be going along, I'm sure. Um, one of those locals is Maisie Adams, the comedian who's a Leeds fan. Uh, anyone who doesn't or not sure who Maisie Adams is, you'll know that she's the one with the sort of shave around the back hair and floppy bits down the side of the ears. And she's pretty good, actually. Good comedian, seems like a good, a nice person. Lives in Brighton, so she's got good taste. And apparently she was on Sky Sports. Well, you say that, but she, she does support Leeds, you just said as well. So. No, there's, there's got to be exceptions to your usual rule, Peter. Um, but she... Um, she, by all accounts, has been watching a lot of Albion games because she lives locally. I know that means travelling to Crawley or whatever. Uh, but she's also been to the Amex and was very complimentary about the stadium. She has a ticket from the ticket lottery um, arrangement for the game. Um, and she's going to be going along. So, you know, there's a few celebrities going along, maybe. Um, the main thing is, though, um, England are one of the favourites. We've got a Dutch coach who's very highly regarded. Um, and Wiegman, I think her name is. And she's... Um, She's got making all the right noises. She's being ruthless where she needs to be with people and uh, in terms of squad selections. And it seems to be that England are amongst the favourites. They've really got a good chance here. Um, amongst other things, Spain have lost one of their best players to injury now for the tournament. So what do you think, Peter? Can they win it? I mean, they can. It's a, It'll be tough, you know, it's never... Can't say I'm, I know a lot about all the you know the kind of the fav- who the favourites are and that sort of thing. But I mentioned they're pretty much the ones you'd expect normally. I think Sweden are the highest ranked team in Europe, aren't they, in kind of rankings generally? But there are a lot of others as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, as with as with any tournament, when you get to the knockout, it's it's a lot. A lot of it's down to how you play on the day and who you know. There are probably like six, seven teams who could win it um, and beat each other. Which reminds me, actually, the Albion women have lost quite a lot of players this summer as well, haven't they? They've uh, yeah, it's a lot of churn, isn't there? Yeah, well, mainly churn in terms of going out. I haven't seen much in terms of signings. Yeah, I think I think one of the people that was already announced as leaving is now signed for Liverpool, who've just got promoted into the WSL. Um, but yeah, there's quite a bit of changeover. I think the players that we most highly regard are still there, which is probably the positive sign from all of that. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the changeover, you don't want too many changes in the season. It doesn't normally bode well. But we finished top half, haven't we, the, first two, well, the last two seasons. Um, let's hope for the best for for the uh, Brighton women's team as well, and obviously for the Albion's first team as it comes up. We'll be doing a build up to the season, of course, in due course. Um, as I'm um, mentioned off air, we're hoping to get a special guest in 
possibly for the next episode. Stay tuned for that one. Um, and we will no doubt have some other guests on. One of them will be up, coming up very shortly in part three of this podcast, which is uh, an author with a, with a new book out about football, including a little bit of a section from um, on the subject of Glenn Murray and getting Brighton promoted into the top flight. That will be coming up in part three. But any other business before we sign off for part two, Peter? Uh, nothing from me, No? No. Same for me then. So um, we'll, we'll break off for this next break. And in part three, we will be speaking to our author guest, um, Mr. Stuart James Quigley. That's coming up next. And so to part three, and we're delighted to welcome to the podcast for his debut, a an author, and his name is Stuart James Quigley. He is uh, the author of a new book, and who we, he's going to tell us about all that in a moment, I'm sure. Also a Liverpool fan, uh, we should mention. We'll probably get into a little bit on that a bit later on. Welcome to the podcast, Stuart. It is an absolute pleasure to be uh, like I've during the course of this process for the book. This has been my favourite part by far, just talking to different fans and, and trying to you know expand the horizons as opposed to the usual five people I know with all my football opinions. <laughs> great well it's, it's great to have you with us i'm sure we can we're ha- happy to help spread the word and well let's get straight into it first of all tell us about the book what's it called when's it coming out and where can people get hold of it uh, the book is the cornerstone collection it is a gathering of 45 individual chapters covering 45 different players well enough uh, over the course of the premier league's Full history, the from the inception in 1992 right until now. Uh, the fact that it's been 30 years is a really convenient landmark. I didn't choose that. It was just pure coincidence. And during the course of these 45 chapters, every single club that's ever played in the Premier League will be covered at some point. Some teams will have multiple players because obviously players go from one team to the other. But I wanted to do something that was... Yeah, okay. We want to celebrate some of the bigger players in the Premier League, but we don't want just want a list of the top fifty players. Everyone's seen that. I wanted to talk about teams that don't necessarily get the plaudits and players that don't necessarily get the attention. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to put every team in there, and at some point, you will be able to sort of pick and choose. It's one of these books where you don't have to read it from cover to cover as it is, and it's a really staggered release because it's available on Kindle right now. It is on the 10th of July this Monday, available from uh, all good bookstores. And then I believe Amazon will be fulfilling orders, so you can pre-order the Monday after that. So um, get your copy, however you can get your copy. Brilliant. Superb. Um, You've mentioned every club that's been in the Premier League since football was invented in 1994. Mm. Uh, has been covered in some way or way, shape or form. Uh, mm-hmm. From the Albion point of view, to tag that in, it's about Glenn Murray, isn't it? Who's yes. got a, a colourful background. He played for Bournemouth on loan. He played for the Albion. He played for Palace. So he's played for three different clubs in the Prem. Uh, obviously, he's hung up his boots now. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting angle you've gone in with. Tell us about that and how that um, that side of things came about. Well, I think in terms of trying to select players from every different club, you start, I should say it was more of a collective effort because um, a couple of years ago, I started a podcast with a few friends and we got through to, um, well, I say we got through, we had enough beers to go, this is a good idea, let's keep it going. (laughs) And 
that was the challenge that we set ourselves. And I was the one presented with the task of you throw up the list and we'll choose the list from the players provided. And like when it comes to individual clubs, you're kind of hamstrung by if they're only in the Premier League for one season, you've only really got about 10 players to choose from. And in those 10, how many of those are going to be um, have a story or have a connection to something that's just a bit wider than the story of the club itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when it comes to Brighton, I, I think what's really interesting is that if I were to do this process now, because the book, I mean, it's exception, in it's, I can't speak. It in it's exception. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Those are the words that I was looking for. Um, was sort of formulated a few years ago. And if I was to do it now, and if we could do the podcast now, um, there is a plethora of players of intrigue in and around the squad of like, oh, what's the potential future for this guy? What's the potential future for this guy? And uh, and at the time when we did it, it, there was a very obvious candidate and his name was Glenn Murray in the fact of everyone knows this whole sort of cliche, this thing of in football, the striker coming back to haunt you. And Glenn Murray is is kind of the personification of that if you could possibly be that and and the other thing as well is that um when it came to sort of double ending um his particular uh story as it were if you want to call it that it's he's gone through the divisions as a as a footballer he's not quite celebrated some of the other players that have gone through the division so I wanted to sort of you know that the Premier League is sort of the hype machine times a thousand but I firmly believe it is what it is on the basis of uh, new teams coming in, teams that um, break the mould, teams that aren't the same. If you've got the, I, I know a lot of people are concerned with the championship and the way that it continues to recycle the same old teams over and over again. And and when Brighton came up, and when and Bournemouth as well came up, and and Glenmore was there for a very short period of time, but he plays a pivotal role in in their evolution at that particular time. And between the um, his evolution from non-league to Premier League and the idea that basically whenever he played against yourselves or Crystal Palace in a Brighton or Crystal Palace shirt, he would get on the score sheet. It mm. was a story that I was like, I need to expand on that. We need to go and investigate. We need to see what happened here. Yeah, and he did. He, he, just, he had a habit of scoring the, the goals and not celebrating. He did, he did that classic thing of not doing the, the over-celebrations. But, yeah, he kept scoring against the opposition in, in both those fixtures, uh, both ways rounds, yeah. And, um, oh, Peter, I mean, you, you, I'm sure you've enjoyed some of these uh, these moments more than others. Yeah, definitely some more than others. Yeah, he also scored against Sir Reading, didn't he, as well, when he was on loan from Bournemouth. Yeah, so, yeah, he had a habit of coming to the, yeah, especially the Amex and scoring against us and uh, and then had a habit, a very good habit of scoring at the Amex for us as well. But he's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he, as you say, he stands out as one to talk about from the first couple of years, and maybe there are more options now. The other one, from an Albion point of view, although probably less interesting generally, would be Lewis Dunk, who obviously played for us in what was then League One, uh, or what, what is still now in League One, and has gone through and is now captain. I saw his debut at Milton Keynes in was it, the first playoff season, wasn't it? He, he played the last game of the season. If you told me then that he'd be captaining us in Premier League 10, 12 years later, whatever, that was, I don't think I'd have believed you, but. I think growing up, he was a Chelsea fan, and ironically, he's pretty much emulated John Terry, you know, the one club man, barring a loan spell, um, who's just gone all the way through. Yeah, okay, Chelsea weren't in League One when he when he started <laughs> playing for them, but uh, you know, there's that sense of you know the one club man, centre back, a ball playing 
centre back in this particular case, unlike Terry. But anyway, uh... no, Terry was a player playing centre back, wasn't he? Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. And, and, and the characters you've got on this list, you've got, as you said, a list of forty-five players. Looking through it, there's quite a few of what I would describe as mavericks or shithouses on this list. Mm. So, I mean, Mavericks, you could probably say Wayne Rooney's a bit of a Maverick, actually. Um, you've got um, Gomez, the goalie who was at Watford, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and Carnu, people like that. But you've also got, uh, obviously, you've got Glenn Murray mentioned. Um, but I think one of the other ones on this list are kind of interesting. Um, Jason Punchen, who, of course, also played for Palace. And he was a bit of a... And Barnet as well. And Barnet, indeed, yeah. Colourful character. You've got Robbie Savage, who's an ex-Brighton player, along with Darren Bent, who's also on the list. Um, but you've also got players like, if I just skip through to find who I was looking for, um, Jan Fjortov. I've forgotten about him. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that because you need yeah. to get a Swindon Town link? <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. And Barnsley. Ed and Jacko, you've got the enigma that is Titus Bramble, Mr. Guaranteed Fatal Error per Game guy, um, James Beatty. Um, he was really, he, was, he never felt like a Premier League player, but he got a fair few games he in. He was the, quite effective at Southampton for quite a while, wasn't he? And I never quite did it after that, from memory, James Beatty. Yeah, and, yeah and, he, and he got Robert Huth, who's one of the biggest thugs in Premier League history. Some, um, somehow he, won the Premier League. And yeah. someone didn't get a million more bookings than he did, which he should have done. But um, I was wondering, I was going to ask you if it, if it includes the season just finished, but I noticed another shithouser, by all accounts, is Sergi Canos of Brentford. They, of course, are in the, prem for the, the Premier League era. They're, they're in their yeah. first season ever. And um, I think the first time for 60-odd years, isn't it, in the top flight in general. And I think he's a bit of a, a wind-up merchant, isn't he, as well? Well, I, the Canos story is an interesting one in the sense that it's the, fully the story of Brentford. It was there first season in the Premier League, as you mentioned. And I think in terms of looking toward a player that, for a team that, you you know, you've got one season of, of sort of data of information to, to tell a story. And the, the gravitational pull there would be even Tony. And you think, oh, he's the pinnacle. He's, you know, the guy, the, the, the one that's going to make the headlines. And I made a decision very early on. That, um, well, I say very early on. The first game of the season, the first goal... Sergi Canos against Arsenal. And as soon as that goal went in, I thought, yeah, OK. The first goal in the Premier League year for Brentford was and will always be scored by Sergi Canos. I've sort of been really interested to see his quote-unquote progress over the course of the season because there was a, a particular period of time where um, I've said every team in the Premier League, when we're getting close to the book being finished and publication date, Brentford going down and Luton coming up would have really ruined me because no, there was no, there's no room to fit a Luton chapter in. So thankfully Huddersfield took care of that for us. But <laughs> if Brentford had gone down, it would have been a very sour note and I wouldn't have been able to get there in time in terms of like deadlines and whatnot. And over the course of the season, I was very interested to see how they would progress and, and Canos in particular. And the one thing I've noticed is that like his legacy might not necessarily, he might not even be a Brentford player, I think, in the not too distant future. But what I will say is, is that that moment in time is fixed. And that is the, the, 
thing I'm trying to encapsulate the you wait that long to get it back into the Premier League you have that especially after Covid as well and everything that went on with the stadium and them failing at the playoffs wanting to get into the Premier League at the, with the new stadium and and you know and, and the release of that encapsulated by Cano scoring that goal against Arsenal not having fans there for the first games mm. in the same way that Liverpool yeah, we're winning that title after all those years, not having fans there. It's a tragedy for the fans of those clubs. Of course, the, the rivals will mock it and whatever. But, you know, we've all been there. We will be there again with some other freak scenario in the future, I'm sure, where you'd miss out on something. So for Brentford, it's bittersweet in one sense. that They, they don't get the full experience of that new stadium in the way they should have done. But I'm sure they're not. They're, they're making yeah. up for the last time. They're not worrying about that now. But yeah, you're right. The the narrative is constantly being written as well, isn't it? You know, as you said, Sergio Canos is now indelibly linked with Brentford's first goal in the Premier League era, just as um, you know, Albion players with various landmarks. Yeah, yeah. Will, I was thinking Will Buckley and Pascal Grosch in terms of like first goal at the Amex and the uh, and the Premier League. Yeah, obviously also right. yeah, Ryan Olsen, Stora as well. I kind of always remember them. We should say the first Albion goal in a competitive league game at the Amex, but not the first goal. Billy Sharp, of course, scored the first goal <laughs> at the Amex, although he apparently died, didn't he, according to the fans. He was so badly injured. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're not going to rant about that again. We've done it before, Peter. Luckily, his namesake's still playing, though. <laughs> so uh, in terms of the book coming around, I mean, it's interesting the way you've, you've selected things. It's quite intriguing. You've gone for these 45 players that obviously is able to then envelop the whole mm. history of any clubs that have been in there. Um, was there any toing and froing in terms of how you were deciding to set the format? Uh, or did you always think it was going to be something like that? The decision-making process was, I mean, you set the tone by the sort of building blocks that you can't move. Um, there are certain players that, whether it be through period of time in the Premier League or through connections, connective tissue to other teams. Uh, Robbie Savage, you mentioned, um, I would like to refer to him. He's now quite a renaissance man. There are many words you can refer to him as, but he's <laughs> like a sort of pivotal figure in Birmingham City's history. He's a pivotal figure in uh, Derby's history because he was the captain when they went down with the 11-point total that will never be beaten. Yes. And... <laughs> um, also, like Blackburn, he went there under Mark Hughes and he had a, a really sort of forgotten spell there where Blackburn had gone down, come back and were relevant again. And they missed that on the Champions League, I think, in 06, 07, 08, 09, somewhere in that range by about four points. Mm. And that's ludicrous to think about now. And uh, and that was the season that, and he's in the book as well, that Craig Bellamy was there and... And this is the, th- the things you noticed and the things that um, were, once you connect the dots, there are, I'd say, about 20 that you can't not have. But after that, you can sort of play around a little and there are certain players that um, you put in there for personal reasons or, like, I, I Edin Dzeko is a good example. You mentioned him earlier. Um, do I need another Man City player in this book? I don't think so. But that Aguero moment is so entrenched in football history that I wanted to look at that not from the perspective that's always been looked at which is the guy who's got the final goal and even Mario Balotelli with his only assist in a Man City shirt has had his certain praise but no one looks at the guy who got the equaliser in Edin Dzeko and you can't get the winner without the equaliser 
Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, the the, the forgotten men, the people yes. that been under the radar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's that, that permeates history, doesn't it? All the way through, you, you get that as well. Um, so yeah, in terms of this book, so yeah, it it's it sounds intriguing. We've read the uh, the Glenn Murray stuff, which is interesting, and I do think that whole notion of changing between arch rival clubs, which has happened throughout history mm-hmm. at various different clubs, but not very hugely. Um, is is quite a nice angle. I, I quite like that. Um, I think the book as a whole sounds interesting. I want to read the rest of it definitely. Um, in terms of the palace thing, I've got to say I've got this this friend of mine, a guy I know through the football, and I don't know if you've come across this in discussing the rivalry elements uh, within these games at all at any point, but he's uh, he's staunchly anti-palace and. He has refused to celebrate any goals Glenn Murray has scored since he returned <laughs> to the club. <laughs> now, obviously, this is all in the past now because he's retired. But, yeah. you know, there was a period of time he's come back and he's done well. He was uh, a key person at a key moment coming back to the Albion because we've struggled on an ongoing basis, as I'm sure you will have noticed, to to, to finish enough chances over the last certainly the last two to three years when we've been playing better football, we've, we've needed the finishing touches, mm. not had it. And what we really need is a younger version of Glenn Murray, that know-how, that savvy. He's just a cool finisher. He's not fast. He never has been. And I think he's, uh, to, to misquote C6 Steve, he had no pace and he's still got most of it left. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like that. Um, but he was a seasoned finisher. He knew how to finish. And those little... Goals here and there, the little nuanced finish against Man United, for example, beautiful little half-glance finish. Goals like that have made the difference at key moments for us and have set us on the way to where we are now. And yet, I'm picturing at the back of my mind this this guy I know just not celebrating. You know, he scores a winner against United. And he, nope, nope, I'm not celebrating mm. that. <laughs> it's crazy what football does to people, isn't it? Um, did you come across that at all in any of your other research? I, I mean, this is kind of part of why the game is as beautiful as it is. And, and I genuinely believe where my heart must leave in terms of football, and I am a footballing romantic at heart. So there is an element of, um, I may be looking at this through a slightly naive, rose-tinted lens, and there are certain... Uh, club divide, club rivalries that, you know, you, you can't see through to the other side. But um, you mentioned Fjordhoft earlier. I believe it's in this chapter. And one of the things that I would like to try and emphasise is that even though there is um, specific chapters for specific clubs, I think there's something to take from everything in there. There's the chapters about teams, but there might be sections that refer to a, a, a wider idea and what I mean here is just that football fans, and I don't say this from a negative perspective, but football fans live in their own bubble. You you have your existence as a football fan. And even within that, you can't get 10 fans of the same club to agree on the same thing. So how you're going to get 10 fans of different clubs to agree on the same thing, I don't know. And and the best part about it, and, and and there are times where it gets a little tiresome, and there are times where it can go to extremes. But every football fan thinks their bubble is the best bubble to be in. <laughs> and yeah. there is a certain element of uh, I'm not going to pick a team, but just say a random team from League Two. They will at some point this season sing that they are the greatest team the world has ever seen, without any hint of irony. <laughs> and I love that because. 
when you go to the game, when you watch the games in the pubs, when you have uh, connections with fans of other clubs that you may be either locally or on a wider scale across social media, yeah, okay, you may have bad instances, especially when it comes to social media. But by and large, we human beings are social creatures. And, and when we go to these games, we have these experiences, we collectively, like I've seen games in, in both the stadiums and pubs, with complete strangers and I've seen them at their highest and I've seen them at their lowest and I don't even know their name. And and that's to me, even though there are certain lines and certain divides of like, if that person was uh, a, a, like a rival fan, I, I, I again, I'll rewind to Jekka. I think Jekka is the good example to go here. I actually feel sorry for my United fans, genuinely, because when Aguero scored that goal, that's a football moment. That's a moment that everyone looked at. And okay, Man City, they have the right to claim superiority over that because that is their moment. And I'm not trying to take it from them, but I'm saying we shared, everyone that was watching that shared a moment of, wow, I can't believe that happened. And they will never see it like that. And, and, and that's the, like, you say about, like, rivalries, and I get the lines exist. And I'm th- I'm so thankful for them because I'm happy enough to just sit where I sit and I've seen what I've seen. And like I said to you before, everyone lives in their own little bubble and they don't want to change it. I, You may be able to slightly tell from my accent, it's not Scouse, but I have my connection to this club, connection to that city, and I wouldn't change anything for the world. I don't think anyone would regardless. So across, the, not, not just the Premier League, not just the 50 clubs that I'm mentioning, the clubs up and down the 92, they will all have their moments. And I, I firmly believe that you all get your day in the sun, some more than others, and some for more slightly less morally correct reasons than the others, if I were to be like even uh, tiptoeing <laughs> around the issue. But I still, even in 2022, and again, this is where the naivety comes in a little bit, believe that there is still good in the game itself, even if everything else around it might be slightly sour. (laughs) Wonderful. Great words, great words. Um, Now, yeah, so you're a Liverpool fan. Um, The Liverpool connections, looking through the list, you've got Nick Barnby, you've got Paul Ince, of course, who is more synonymous with the other lot. Mm. Um, You've got, um, I think, uh, who was it? I had also on the list here. There's well, there's um, Craig Bellamy, of course. Did is it my imagination, or did Jermaine Defoe play for Liverpool? He did not. No, I, I, I don't know why I thought. I, that. I, let me let me try and do this off the top of my head. Um, Bournemouth, Tottenham, West Ham. No, ah, oh, I've already failed. Tottenham's Bournemouth, been... West Ham, Tottenham, Portsmouth, Tottenham, Bournemouth again. Rangers in no Bournemouth then Rangers, uh, <laughs> and then no, oh, uh, and he was at Sunderland for a bit and Toronto. I've got them yeah. all there. They're just not in the right order. I'm impressed you've got that list, to be honest. I wouldn't have had that many on there. Um, yeah, but Bellamy, you've got, and you've got Alison, of course, Alison Becker. Um, so some Liverpool connections in there. So how was the angles on that one? Do, do, obviously, Becker's the main drive there, isn't it? It must be. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, linking, I said earlier that um, we, as a collective, many of our friends, we did the, when we did the podcast, um, there were a couple of... Um, sort of quote-unquote drafts that we had where we got to pick our own players. Um, and Alisson was one of mine. I, I wanted to have him in so badly, not just because of um, the the love that I have for the guy, but um, it's, the, it's the evolution of the goalkeeper. And it's a coin flip between him and Edison, to be honest with you. And the way that position has changed and the way also the, the goalkeeping position specifically relating to Liverpool 
became so important after Kiev with Karius. And it, in that moment, at that time, you've got a line in the sand and you've got two paths ahead of you. And I remember, and I think this is the right thing to do. Klopp came out and said, yep, yeah, no, Karius is my man. I'm sticking with him because if he does the other thing, then he really is buried. But we went and we got Karius and it was a really interesting sort of triumvirate between us, Chelsea and Real Madrid, where Real Madrid get Courtois and boy, did that come back around. If they'd have got Alisson instead, Liverpool would have ended up with Kepa Arizabalaga. And that's <laughs> a, a really, again, like a, a path in front of you. I'm not sure I like that one. Um, <laughs> But in terms of the other Liverpool players there, I, I mentioned earlier this idea of connective tissue. Um, Bellamy, Cardiff. Yeah. Uh, Paul Ince, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, almost, it's a strange one because that Wolves team is forgotten. And also, it's beautifully imperfect because they had Jolie Lescott and Matt Murray when they were in the Championship. They were a side that um, the fans were very much like, oh, we're... We deserve our place in the Premier League. And then they got there and all their big players were injured. And it was just Paul Ince as the lone gunslinger that had no shot left. And he and he'd he'd had a career that at that point had already been like, you know, Man United, Liverpool, Inter Milan, Middlesbrough for no particular reason. Um he'd done and I'd I'd liked the idea of, especially with the character that he had, um, being the last man standing at Wolves. Yeah. And um and also like Barnby. Barnby's a fascinating character because of the, the number of clubs he played for, the time he played in. He started England 5, Germany 1. Completely forgotten. And I haven't even mentioned the club that Barmy's in there for. It's Hull. Yes, Hull. He played for Hull, yeah. He I was thinking that. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, um, as, as Alisson is probably the, the home pick, the safe pick, if you want to call it that. But the rest of them are in there. And, and um, there's one you haven't mentioned as well, Charlie Adam and Blackpool. Oh, yes. And, yeah, and I think it's it's really quite bittersweet in a way for me because I look at the Liverpool players in this book and Alisson aside, there aren't many success stories. Barnby is a different issue altogether, but obviously you've got him crossing the divide from Goodison Park as well. And um, it's really interesting how I've managed to sort of tell all these stories of Liverpool players past that didn't quite get there. And then at the end, you've got Alisson who does. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's true. Yeah, it's, it, it sounds very interesting, the angles you've come with this. And, um, I mean, Peter, I'm sure you'll be uh, you'll be up for the book as well. Um, we're, we're certainly going to sign up to that one. When does it well, – so, so remind us, so it comes – it's already on Kindle. It's yes. coming out, you said, on the 10th of July. Yeah, if you go on to my Twitter, which is at SQ Studios, or you go Cornerstone Collection Pitch Publishing on Google – um, you can go through to Smiths, to Waterstones. There are multiple options for you in terms of your book selling uh, options there. Um, that, I believe, is the 10th that the book will debut there. And then Amazon are taking pre-orders, obviously, and they are fulfilling pre-orders on the 18th. So it's, like I say, a very staggered release. Right. And just to clarify, the name of the book is? The Cornerstone Collection. There we go. Brilliant. Fantastic. Finally, Stuart, I've got to ask you as well, as you, as you said earlier, Bromley accent, you're from Birmingham, Liverpool fan. We've got to explain, we've got to ask you, how how's that come about? <laughs> this is good. This is because this is a story that even if I wasn't used to promoting the book or even podcasting in general, 
Um, this is a story I've had to rehearse for my entire life. I'm 35 <laughs> years old. I started supporting Liverpool at the age of eight in 1995. The glory was not a part of it. <laughs> no, definitely not in 1995. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, you were doing better than we were in 95. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was doing better than we were. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you had a ground. <laughs> so you're moving towards not having one. <laughs> um, the story is, um, it, like I say, I think there's a, there's a, a couple of passages in the book as well in, in reference to um, fans having connections to clubs regardless of where they come from. But I also do believe firmly that uh, the idea of um, when you're, at least in your formative years, the local connection there is so important because it's the thing that you can go and you can see and you can sort of experience all forms of life, you know, however they are. But for me, my father, really rather ironically, as a Birmingham City like, supporter, home and away for however many years, like in the late 80s, thought the money was too much and had to pass out. Like he was like, oh, that's no, too expensive. And that was in the late 80s. So you know, he just sort of stopped going around that time. And I grew up in a household that just, and also as well, like I was genuinely terrible at football, still am. So it just didn't really capture me, didn't really hold me in that way. And this is during the days where 24-hour news cycle, so many games being broadcast. And, and the only game you'd ever really see on TV would be the FA Cup final. And I remember there was a handful of European games. And I distinctly remember Liverpool playing Bromba. And my father being um, like knowledgeable enough, he would tell me about the Liverpool team of old. And I knew this side was a formidable side. And they were losing to this team I'd never heard of from Denmark. And I didn't even know they were from Denmark for a few years. I just I knew that Bronby were this side that like haunted my dreams. And as a child, I was like seven, eight years old, as I said, like I I I, I cried. We lost one night. Look, this Liverpool side that I've been held up as this mythical proportions lost to Bronde, who? And then I started checking the results. And then, you know, um, in like 95, 96, going and watching these games was, especially at the age I was, was just not on the cards. And then by the time you get to the, the 1998, 1999, and, and so on and so forth, and um, just it, it became the things that I loved and then I've, I've been so grateful ever since it's been a, a privilege to not just support the team but to uh, go and, and experience the city and connect with the people of that city and, and like I said to you before like I'm firmly aware of my place in terms of like it's not my right necessarily that people can argue I don't think anyone should say you should or you shouldn't but you need to really dig into it and you need to have a connection to it and not just be, oh, I'm just going to support it for the sake of it. And, and I've tried desperately to, to hold that true to heart because like every club or every fan rather believes that their club stands for something more. And I, I like to think that obviously, rightly or wrongly, I believe that from, for me and for the football that I've been able to watch, the people that I've been able to meet, I you know, I, I couldn't wish for anything better, and, and it, like, I bleed Liverpool red, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, cracking bunch of fans, I've got to say. Whenever I've gone up there or met people in pubs or on the trains or wherever else, good bunch of fans, they really are. And it's uh, it's it's interesting to see how they'll do next season. Obviously, we were talking off air about the Champions League and the bogey team of Real Madrid <laughs> and how they've not a bad bogey team to have. Yeah, not too bad, is it? Yeah. And how they've duped all of the better sides than them this season 
the, the season just gone in the Champions League. It's a mad, mad world, isn't it, really? It has to be said. Yeah. Um, Peter, I don't know if you had any more to, to add about the book. No, nothing from I said, yeah, it just sounds really interesting, the book. it's. Uh, I like the, the fact that you've not gone for some of the obvious ones, and like Checo rather than Aguero and that sort of thing. It's a really, yeah, because a lot of these players sometimes don't get mentioned. And yeah, it, it's quite interesting. Someone like Murray, who, yeah, isn't really... You know, he's probably worked reasonably well known in the Premier League, but not like he wasn't have a long that long career in the Premier League generally compared to his overall career. But was seen as the yeah, I, I really like the kind of the element of that side of it being a, you know for a long time a lower league journeyman almost, and kind of a then actually finally at Brighton, especially getting goals Premier League even at quite a later stage in his career. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Excellent. Well, Stuart, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. We will check out that book. Anybody else that wants to, please do. You've heard the details on how to get hold of it. And um, it sounds like a, a really good read. Um, and obviously, good luck for the, for the new season coming up, Stuart, as well. Uh, how do you see their chances for next season, Liverpool? I have long left my wildest expectations at the door. This is the best team I'll ever see. Um, you know, when cartoons where they see like a pie on the windowsill and the smell just takes them over <laughs> and they rise up off the ground. I can see the Premier League season in the horizon and the smell of it is just lifting me up. I'm, I'm hype. I'm excited. And if we do it, we do it. And if we don't, we don't. This is, I've said to you, Arthur, it would be a slap in the face to every football fan if I was upset with this team or if I thought, oh, we need to be better. No, watch the football, enjoy the football, embrace the football. Exactly. There we go. You've had a great season regardless. So have we, our highest ever position. I'm wearing it. I'm already getting in the mood with this top, which is actually a Glen Murray um, uh, vintage as well, a way top, <laughs> yellow with the brown sleeves for anyone that knows uh, what we're talking about there. Um, so, yeah, the best of luck for the season coming up. I'm sure we'll get you back on in, at some point as well. And good luck with the book sales as well. Yeah, no, thank, thank you very much. And I really appreciate it. And good luck to yourselves as well. I, one of the teams that um, I very much look forward to watching, uh, as far as a neutral perspective is concerned, the Graham Potter doing fantastic and all the best for the following season. Cheers, Stuart. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Cheers. So, Peter, that, that rounds up the episode, doesn't it? And it just leaves us to do our usual, which is for me to say, stand or fall. And for you to say, up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.